Welcome, I'm Dr. Robert Groves, your host for the Groves Connection podcast. The Groves Connection brings you intimate conversations with pundits, providers, patients, leaders, and laypeople, all to help us understand a contradiction. How can our healthcare system be both magnificent and yet so deeply flawed? We're going inside healthcare to talk candidly with those who know. What they have to say may delight, surprise, frustrate, or at times even anger you. But I invite you to get curious and listen to the truth about healthcare and those who want to fix it. Maybe the answers have been there all along. We just need to make the connection. Are you ready to connect? Scott Shreve, uh, welcome to the Groves Connection. Hey, Robert. Appreciate being here. Look forward to chatting today. Yeah. You know, I, I have been looking forward to this conversation as well, and uh, you're doing some really cool stuff with uh, a little company called Crossover Health, and so I want to get to that. But, you know, what I like to start with is is learning a little bit about you, and and, uh, and so let's start with where'd you grow up? Yeah. So uh, I was actually born in Redwood City, which is uh, up near Cupertino, and uh my family moved to Fresno, California. So if you're familiar with the geography of California, yep. it's in the middle of the state that called the breadbasket of uh, California, but it's very much rural ranch land. I grew up on a small little uh, farm, if you will, that we had chickens and cows and horses. And so I grew up being responsible for feeding those uh, animals every morning and night and uh, learning to garden. And uh, of course, it was a, uh, a beautiful playland for being a kid growing up. And there's canals and ranches and growth to trees to run through. So it was a wonderful place to grow up. Very strong community. Uh, interesting enough, the Clovis Unified School District is extremely well known for not only their athletics, but also academics. And so this was the type of community where I liken it to West Texas, where the whole community would come out on Friday night for the football games, and there's yep. a lot of support. There was a rodeo growing up, so a lot of strong community, and, and uh, uh, so very formative for me, kind of growing up there. So you know, when most of the uh, most of the country hears about California, they don't often think about the the rural side of California. You know, it's the coastal cities, and and uh, but there really is a very uh, traditional way of life in, in Central California, isn't there? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And so, um, you know, everyone thinks of LA and San Francisco, but there's so much more to California. And so where I grew up again is, is kind of in that breadbasket, you know, really good core uh, American values, people, you know, citizenship and, and you know, competing and, and being in a, a community like that was, was a great place to grow up. And so um, I think uh, that was, uh, unique experience. So you had a lot of athletic opportunities there and learned a ton through that. Uh, my, my dad, interestingly enough, uh, used to buy and sell farms. And so as a young kid in the summers, you know, he'd drop me and my brother off and we'd have to go weed these huge rows of like, you know, grapes and stuff. And of course he didn't need us to weed those, but like, you know, we, he would, that would be his way to kind of teach us how to work and yep. pretty unique way to grow up in that kind of a setting. 
So. And that's, you know, I love that, uh, you know, that that row of weeds must have looked endless <laughs> to you at that age. But uh, a great move by your dad, I think. So so talk to us about, uh, were you in, involved in sports in high school? Did you uh, play any sports? That you... Yeah, that was a big part of uh, what what I did and, and learned growing up a lot of good values from that. So I started playing basketball, football uh, in elementary school. And what's kind of interesting yeah. there. Again, because they're so organized, that's a big part of the community there is, you know, the the elementary schools would be running the same offense and plays as the high school. And so you kind of yeah. go through this like, system. But I had a lot of great coaches along the way, learned a ton about teamwork. You know, Fresno is very well known for every summer you measure how many days in a row it's over 100 degrees. And so we would be just the value of teamwork and building towards something and accomplishing something together you know, it was really great. Uh, I had the privilege to, to be a quarterback. I didn't want to be one, but like Ooh. I kind of got positioned. And so, um, you know, you learn a lot about being a leader and first one on the field, last one off and trying to help your teammates. And even though you're a little bit more, maybe in the spotlight, you know, to kind of share that spotlight with everyone else, because they're actually the ones that are helping you look good in your role. And so yeah. really applicable, a lot of things, you know, learning, you know, even into medicine. Yeah. You know, as I've uh, as I've done, uh, you know, dozens of these interviews, one of the things that I uncover each and every time is that accomplished professionals always remember mentors. You know, there there are folks along the way that uh, had a key role in shaping you as a human being, and and it sounds like maybe some of the coaches uh, that you uh, yeah. uh, participated with uh, in high school may have played that that role. Do you remember it that way? Yeah, absolutely. I had a uh, interesting, there was a kind of advanced curriculum that was taught by a really interesting man. His name was Gary Cohagen. I still, you know, distinctly remember him, but he used to be a former football player for the 49ers. I just a hulk of a man who was a yeah. lineman, but he was a science teacher and really huh. learned. Uh, I learned, uh, I still remember distinctly, he taught us all about the animals in the tide zones of California. And then we did a field trip to those tide zones to really learn that. And I just, I really learned to love science and reading and learning and, and uh, you know, at that age, you're just trying to be cool and play video games and sports. Right. But like, I really <laughs> learned that like, wow, there's a lot of cool things to learn. And then when you actually got to go to those tide pools and see the animals you learned about and understand all those things, it, it was really eye opening. And then, of course, as I got older, you know, other, you know, teachers. Um, but also, you know, I really remember the coaches. You spend so much time with them, but, you know, teaching life lessons and the value of hard work and teamwork and, you know, learning to be confident, but humble and, and, and learning to achieve, you know, set hard goals and, and do hard things and, and then uh, see the fruits of that, that effort pay off. Were you always interested in the sciences? Is that something that you pursued in high school? It's kind of funny. I, I was, I enjoyed the sciences. I love learning about biology and, 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 and all that. Uh, another kind of factor is in all my athletics, you know, we had kind of this constant force. We did have a local pediatrician who was the team doctor. Oh. And Dr. Richard Jones was another person that had a big impact on me that, that I really, you know, uh, I remember going to his office. He was my own pediatrician, but uh, it was a funny story. They later on had to kick me out of the practice because I kept going back even though I was like 21. They're like, hey, you got to find something else. <laughs> okay. So, you know, I, I saw him as our team doctor. I saw kind of the work he did. I saw the impact he had on me and, and my family. I'm like, you know what? There's there's really something to applying that scientific knowledge, yeah. but a really human relationship and helping people be their best. 
Yeah, so you you knew you wanted to be a doctor uh, by the time you were looking at colleges. Yeah, so once I started, you know, seeing that and then that proclivity towards sciences and just learning, then I'm like, you know, I, I think I could combine those in this. And so I think as I headed to college, um, you know, the first year or two, you're trying to figure out which, which direction you're going, but then really committing like, you know, this is something I really want to do. I think I can have the impact. And I really valued like the ability to have that kind of knowledge and to influence someone. But I, I kind of always had the ambition to, can I combine this with yet one more thing is I was very always interested in technology and the impact of science and the new technology coming out to impact, you know, the human health and performance. And so that became an interest too, to kind of mix medicine, mm -hmm. business, and technology. Um, and again, you have to remember the era that I'm, I'm going to medical school in 1994 to 98, right? And that right. is mm -hmm. the beginning of the internet. I mean, really starting to yes. take, and I had all these friends in Silicon Valley that were going to work and do all these great startups. And, you know, those first two years of medical school, I really, I loved it because I was learning all that science coming back. But, you know, you're in the library 12 hours a day. Yeah. But what was interesting is when I hit the wards, when you hit that third year of medical yeah. school, you started your rotations. I was a little bit culture shocked or whatever about how unhappy a lot of the people uh, I was working with were. Yes. You know, the big Hillary Clinton reform era, the golden era was kind of ending and a lot of uh, physicians were tired. They were burnt out. They were frustrated. And, and I felt that as a student. Because yes. remember, I'm coming in with this idealized view of what medicine is, and I'm working with residents who are like, you know, and then, of course, just the way you learn in medicine through kind of that humiliation almost of, you know, questions and answers you don't really know. You got to learn by experience. Yeah. Uh, things yeah. that are frustrating. You know, to your point, medicine is so amazing and wonderful, but there are also some really big challenges that make it difficult. And so what that set in motion for me was like, wow, you know, there's a lot of issues here. Why is it? So inefficient, why are people unhappy? You know, is, that's translating into difficult care situations for the members. You know, why doesn't it work better for them? Why are they frustrated? And that set in motion these ideas of like business, medicine, technology. Here's a lot of problems. Can we can we do this differently or can we make it better? And the other interesting thing I, I was happened to me, Robert, is I was going through, I was like, all right. I'm doing pediatrics rotation. Okay, this is going to be the one. I'm going to love it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't love this. And then, okay, it's going to be surgery. I'm going to love, oh. I yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I got to the end of my fourth year and I was like, oh man, um, I didn't really find anything that really spoke to me. And literally, I actually considered going to business school at that time. Wow. And again, this was the height of the internet, you know, the bubble and everything. Yeah. And I just, I had an instinct impression just to like, you know what? You've put all this work in, you need to finish your residency. You need to become like a real doctor. You can't like <laughs> bail out right now. You won't have the credibility. Yep. And so you need to finish. And I think as I was having all those emotions and like, you know, you know, going through med school is challenging, but like, I was just really, it was like a little bit existential for me. Yeah. Yeah. And so as I got through the different specialties, I kind of started to gravitate towards specialties that actually, you know, uh, you can have the impact but also that you have a little bit of flexibility to consider other aspects of medicine. Right. And interestingly enough, I ended up in emergency medicine. Yeah. And yeah. emergency medicine in my mind provided that kind of intense, you know, really uh, challenging, uh, stimulating environment, but also there was periods away from that where you could pursue other interests. And so, as you know, uh, Robert, from your own experience, like every discipline or specialty has its, 
um, personality. Yes, so indeed. I, well, <laughs> into emergency medicine, I became a trained hypertasker, right? That's just <laughs> the nature of that type of work. And, and, yes. and then I also, it also provided an opportunity to um, explore some other interests because of, you know, you're on and then you have a little bit of time off. Yeah. One of the things I did during my residency is I did a uh, rotation uh, on Silicon Valley. Uh, I went down oh, and interesting. for one month, one of my rotations was to work with a venture capital firm that there was a physician who worked there and he was willing to take me on for a 30-day period. And that exposed me to that real combination of business medicine and technology. And I, I'll never forget this. My first day showing up, they took me to a meeting literally in someone's garage in Menlo Park. <laughs> Uh, they were using Xerox technology to like pipette DNA into like, you know, some, you know, I can't even remember, really remember at the time, but it was just like, you know, really fascinating. And during the month that I was there, I was able to be a part of that team to assess that company, to do the diligence. And they literally funded the company the, the you know, the last day I was there. Um, and that process, that's a very fast process. So, uh, I, I can't remember all the particulars, but I just remember distinctly showing up in the garage and then watching this group get funded. And I was like, wow. One of the other things that, that occurred to me as you were, you were talking about choosing a specialty, and it's something that those maybe outside of medicine don't get right away, but uh, you know, certainly primary care is generalist, certainly internal medicine is generalist, but so is emergency medicine. You have to know a little bit about everything in order to function in that role. And that's, I saw critical care the same way. It's, it's like, yep. I'm a generalist, but I need the adrenaline. You know, I, I need that excitement to, to keep me engaged. And, and emergency medicine is very much like that as well, isn't it? Yeah, I think, you know, there's a little bit of, um, you know, that intensity uh, where you're really in situations where your skills, you know, you can see them um, really have an impact. And then, of course, there are, are, are periods away from that intensity, right? And so I yeah. think, you know, critical medicine shares that with emergency medicine and anesthesia is kind of in that domain yep. as well. Mm -hmm. The way I ended that practice or that uh, that rotation was, you know, my exit interview, I was like, well, hey, how do I how do I become a venture capitalist? How do I do this? And, and his advice to me was very clear, which is like, listen, you got to be an operator. And I'm like, an operator? And again, yeah. I'm thinking like, surgeon or something? He's like, no, you got you to run a company. You got to yeah, learn yeah. this, and once you stepped into running a company, you'll then be in a better position to be an investor someday. So you are on this track, this this entrepreneurial track, basically from the day you started uh, medical school, and you talk yourself into uh, finishing that. Uh, did you practice actively after that? What was your first job after you? Uh... I did. Yes. Yeah. So the journey, as as you continue the journey, then I had this idea that hey, I'd love to. Um, you know, get involved in this some way. And so on my third year of residency, as I was finishing it up, um, you know, I was starting to look for jobs and so forth. And so I, I took a job in in Tucson where I trained hey. and it was a full medicine role. And, and again, taking advantage of those blocks of intense clinical work and then a little bit of time off. So I ended up starting a company with my brother right after I finished residency. Wow. And so- that first year after residency, you really focused on taking your boards. And so I, I took my boards and passed those. And and then I had started this company with my brother, which was around electronic health records. And at the time, this is 2001, that was right. still kind of a novel, newer thing and just kind of taking hold. And so 
uh, we ended up starting a company together. And that little company, interesting story, <laughs> took the software from the Veterans Administration and then we helped commercialize that for small to medium-sized community hospitals that couldn't afford Epic or Cerner. We were able to gotcha. convert and commercialize that system for commercial use in these settings, and it was awesome. That's clever. That is incredibly clever because it's public domain. It's nobody has rights to it, and so you could just piggyback on top of that and and create something that was uh, much less expensive than than the two going concerns. That's a really smart. Who came up with that idea? Was that your brother, you, or combo? Yeah, my brother. Interesting enough, and maybe just the way that we were raised. He was also he also went to med school, and he did a combined MD MBA. Huh. Okay. And so he had a lot more exposure to kind of starting a company and the ideas around that. And so that was kind of the partnership that uh, we formed uh, to go after that, that opportunity. You still work with your brother today? Is he? Uh, yeah. So we worked together for about five or six years. Had an interesting experience with kind of how we exited the company. The company actually still exists and has continued to go on and do well, which is exciting. Uh, it's been almost 20 years now. Yeah. Um, and then I went off and kind of started crossover and Steve kind of went on a different direction. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. So so talk to me about, uh, let's get, I think it's time to get down to, to brass tacks here. Talk to us a little bit about uh your current going concern, a company called Crossover Health, where did that idea come from and how did you get it started? You know, we ran MedSphere for about five, six years, uh, which was really at the beginning of the electronic health wave. And, we, and the, the thing I took away from there was how technology can really impact the way care is delivered. And so having done that and had that experience with seeing how information can guide the decision making and the care and so forth, I really wanted to figure out the care problem more. As an emergency medicine physician, I was always struck by the types of problems that would come to the ER because the ER is kind of the care of last resort. And it always made me wonder, well, where, why is our primary care? Why isn't it working? Why, why aren't these people showing up or having, you know, connection to a primary care office? And so as I started drilling into that, I read a, a really, uh, a book that was really impactful to me called Redefining Healthcare by Michael Porter. And this was uh, all about the value equation for healthcare. So the you know health outcomes are what we should be fighting for, and the outcomes you know or, or excuse me, he he described it as you know redefining care value, and value is the outcome you achieve over the price that you pay to get that outcome. Right. And that little equation was you know somewhat novel, I guess, but like it, he went through and described his thesis in gory detail. But the principles behind that really, I walked away thinking, my gosh, primary care needs to be the foundation of our care system. It probably needs to be paid for differently. It needs to be delivered differently. But if you can engage people in the basics of their health and then make sure you steer, guide, and navigate them into the complexities of care and care systems and so forth, you're going to really have a health system, which we struggle to build today, right? And right. so these ideas of primary care became really formative to what I wanted to do. And so I was shaping these ideas, but at the time I was doing some, you know, it was interesting. This is a, might be fun for your audience is that I started writing about this and this is right when blogging was starting. Yes. And so I started putting these ideas out there and people started to read them and comment and follow. And then I would get invited to speak. And then I got invited to do consulting projects. And then you know, with the consulting projects, I could start to have a little bit of influence, but I couldn't get far enough. So I started running practices. I was doing practice management, helping right. people run their practices, but because they weren't my practices, I couldn't 
push it all the way. Right. And finally, I'm just like, forget it. I'm just going to create my own practice with all these ideas I've been spouting out for five to six years. I'm going to quit talking <laughs> about it and I'm going to do it. And, yeah. and, and so in 2010, we did it. We opened the first crossover health center with the idea that could we deliver great, what we, we started calling primary health. It was beyond primary care because it involved health coaching, fitness, mental health, like that full set of things that you could consider as basic good primary care. And we felt that combined offering really would add the value. And then of course you have to steer guide and navigate people into the secondary care system, which is why we added care navigation. But that that is the quick arc of yeah, what led yeah. us our crossover health. Yeah, you know, that's really cool. And and I one one of the points that that you're making that I want to emphasize, uh, and it's been documented now over and over again, is that with the best way to deliver uh, the complex care that we have in our system today is via primary care. And that really is uh, the best foundation. It's the best outcomes, and it's the least expensive way to access the system. And so many of us have gotten used to, you know, gosh, uh, if I've got uh, chest pain, I'll go see a cardiologist. If I've got uh, joint pain, I'll go see an orthopedist. And that really is not the best way to manage health. Primary care should be foundational. Now, we learned, uh, gosh, in the 80s that uh, that forced uh, primary care. Yeah. There's a lot of pushback yeah. against that, let us say. But 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 the bottom line is is educating everyone that if you really want the best health and the best value for your money, start with good primary care. And that was the notion that it sounds like you uh, realized. You, you, you came away with that same notion and then you put it into action so was it scary i mean did did or at this point did you have so much confidence in what you were doing that you were uh, you know you felt good about being able to bootstrap this up and and start something important well looks like we've uh lost scott for a moment so uh, as we wait for him to get back online you know, there are a couple of things that come to my mind as I've been listening to Dr. Shreve. And and uh, one is, wow, uh, talk about an entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, he is uh, infused with it. And also, he grew up at a time where there were a lot of models out there, a lot of competing models for what we ought to do in healthcare. And uh, so I'll be fascinated to, to learn how he came up with this hybrid approach that is crossover health. Uh, one of the things that, here we go. Looks like he's coming back now. Hey, Robert. Hey there. <laughs> you you were starting to go warbly, and then I lost you, so I'm not sure if that's on my end or... Technology, right? Uh, sometimes it doesn't play well uh, with others. So I, I, I think what I was saying is, is uh, you know, the notion that primary care is foundational you seem to have arrived at that very, very early. And I'm wondering, uh, were you reading the literature? Because there's a ton of it uh, suggesting that the lowest yeah. cost, best outcome is through a, a primary care strategy. What what gave you uh, the the insight that that was how you were going to build crossover health? Is, is it that's the place to start or was it uh, more intentional? 
It's a good question. You know, so again, reading redefining um, healthcare value is is the book by Porter. Once you know, once I read that, these ideas really started to generate. And what was interesting at the time, I was reading a ton. I was reading everything I could about building healthcare systems and what is required for a good system, which leads you very quickly to payment. Right. Right. If you pay for things a certain way, you know, the you know, they say architecture is destiny. So if you, the architecture of payment lends, then everything kind of, you know, morphs itself to fit to the payment model. And so, again, I began to develop a lot of ideas around fee for service. And, you know, can you move to more value based? And this is long before value based was kind of like the thing. But like just like if you paid for it differently, if you offered a different set of service, different set of uh, technology, could you create a great experience that people want to engage with? You know, because I had the same view that you did. The literature is very clear. HMOs actually did control costs. During that era, quality actually improved as well. Very few people know that, but the quality of care was actually better during that era. Yeah, I, I love that you highlight that because, again, we, we, we just focus on the one aspect of the, of the control and the compulsion and some of the restrictions, but... You, what I always tell everyone, and we tell this to all of our employer clients, listen, if you want to manage healthcare costs, at some point, you have to manage healthcare delivery. I can't yeah. send you to the buffet every night and hope you're going to lose weight. I need to somehow <laughs> architect those choices a little bit differently. So what we've tried to do now, 20, 30 years later, is don't make it by compulsion, but make it by because the experience is so great. Kind of a concierge yes. versus compulsion narrative. Like yeah. I create a great experience, I'm connected through technology, and I'm guiding and steering and nudging versus hitting you over the head with a hammer, blocking you from doing something. But I will tell you at the end of the day, Robert, you cannot control costs by sending people to Stanford's MRI machine. You've got to go yeah. to Valley Radiology where it's $400 versus 4,000. They just have a different cost structure and you should use the right tool for the job. You go to Stanford when you have that crazy cancer that four of them show up a year. Yeah. Again, that's that care delivery idea. We think that primary care, if it's done right and done well, is in the best position to navigate you to not just the basics to keep you healthy, but 85% of the spending is in the specialty care. You need the steerage, the guidance, the coordination to get to those things. That's where all the savings is. Right. So we arrived at all these things pretty quickly. And I will tell you, to answer your question directly, a lot of it was reading. A lot of it also was writing because writing was forcing me to get these uh, ideas out there. And then, of course, I was speaking on the kind of the circuit at the time. But yeah. at the end of the day, nothing matters but putting your ideas and things into action and literally going into the market and competing in the in the contest of ideas and going out there and seeing if you could win business. You create enough value that people are willing to part with their harder dollars to pay for your service. And that, and that fire is where you really get to some resolve to build these solutions out there. And I will tell you, I am more convicted now, 20 years into this yeah. battle than I've ever been before, that this is a key part of the answer to creating a healthcare system. And I really want to kind of you know, bend my back in, in career to help solve this problem and be a part of that. Yeah. One other question that I have, because so many entrepreneurs, especially those that came out of that, uh, you know, the California Silicon Valley during that era, yes. went directly to technology. They started a telemedicine company or they started, a, you know, another technology, uh, purely technology based to support the system. You, you took the harder path of saying, no, I'm going to start with a practice 
and build the technology around that. How how did you arrive at that decision? Because it seems the harder road to go. Yeah, I, I appreciate you saying that because we we it's a long, hard, lonely road sometimes because all these beautiful flashing lights and unicorns. Yep. <laughs> What I've always found is, you know, that the, the truth eventually comes out and the value uh, will, will become clear at some point. So, you know, what, what I felt was poor basic primary care done right, done well, can truly influence the system. And I think there's a whole army of literature. The thing is, is it's not it's not sexy. It's not yeah. the sizzle of the month. It is good basic blocking and tackling to build these relationships, smartly use technology because the end of the day, you have to increase the leverage in primary care. And that's one of the problems. If it's just one-to-one, I'm seeing my you know, 15 to 30 patients a day. That was actually one of the problems I had in emergency medicine is I would go do everything I could for those 30 people I'd see a day. And then the next day I'd just do it all over again. Yeah. And I could never get upstream. I could never have I couldn't go beyond my 30. Could I get to 300? Could I get to 3,000? Could I get to 300,000? And in order to have that type of impact, you have to systematically go about this. So our goal was to create a care model that was actually supported by a business model so it could be sustainable. Gotcha. Now, if you're yeah. going to build a business like that, you're not going to be the flashiest, you know, 40% growth, 40% margin every single year. You're going to yeah. be this slow, steady, consistent, company. And, and what I tell our, our employees now, particularly the last several years, have been a lot of the hype. There's been a big crash. There's a lot of you know concern yeah. and uncertainty about the future. What I tell everyone is what we're building is a real company. And yes. what I mean by that, we're going to build a company that produces a product that is valued in the competitive market such that, and that we can deliver that product in a cost structure that we can generate a profit so that we can play what we call the infinite game. Yes. I don't think healthcare is solved simply and easily. It's a long-term thing. But if you're committed to that, and if you do this right, you're going to have a business that people value and is profitable and can continue to have impact and keep evolving. That's what I want to build. When I first started, I wanted to build a great hot startup that was going to go IPO. Yep. And and because I've been beaten down through all of you know 15 years of doing this or whatever, now I have a clear ride, pure heart goal to build a company that is profitable, not to distribute to shareholders, but profitable so I can keep going and keep gotcha. having yeah. Yeah. And I'm humble enough to realize that, you know, we're a small part of a very big thing, but can we be a catalyst, a little spark of light somewhere to right. give hope that this can be done? That's really what we're aspiring to do at CrossFit. Were you born with that fire in your belly? I mean, have you always been a high energy, go get them kind of guy? Or is this something that evolved over time? I think it's kind of a slow burn. I think I will say the one thing, you know, growing up where I did and how I did, one of the gifts that I think my dad gave all the kids was just this ability to like, you, you can do whatever you want if you're willing to work. Hmm. Uh, that's great to say to a kid, but I actually kind of believe it. And 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 so there's this sense of crossover where there's a phrase we use, which, uh, you know, without context, it might not come across the right way. But what we say is what was once impossible becomes improbable and ultimately inevitable. And this yeah. idea of inevitability, which is like the right thing is going to prevail and we want to be a part of that. And as a startup, as a young company, you got to will a lot of stuff to happen. Mm. And, and so maybe as, as part of that slow burn to kind of just keep building and other people want to be a part of something like that. 
Yeah, they don't want yeah. to just go to some dreary job. You put your head down, you slug your eight hours, and you head out. They want to be a part of something. They want to be a part of a mission, and and we view this as a mission to really rethink, reformulate how primary care can be done and done sustainably. Yeah, yeah. See, I I want you to uh, uh to expound a little bit on uh your vision. You know, what is crossover health today? What's your vision for it? Maybe you could start with, uh, and I know you know this term because you play in VC circles, the elevator pitch for crossover health, and then follow that up with, you know, we'll go a little bit deeper in, into some of those aspects and how you've made that happen. The, the quick elevator pitch to you know what we do is simply that crossover health is a national medical group that works primarily with self-insured employers who are trying to achieve lower cost, higher quality, and a better experience. Now, to unpack that, what we were saying is we chose to work exclusively with the self-insured payer market. And the reason for that is that we feel that employers are a very unique type of payer. Mm. They don't think of themselves as payers, but they are. They're paying yes, directly they for all their funds. They're self-insured. And so they're looking for value. They're looking for differentiated experience. They're competing for talent. They want a lower cost. They want all wow. these things kind of wrapped up and delivered. And because of the unique partnership, we felt that you know we could have with employers, we felt that would be a great place for us to focus. So we have never accepted fee-for-service for any of the payments we've ever received. It's always directly from the client. And so in order for me to get hard-earned dollars from any of these clients, I've got to provide a service that has enough value they're willing to pay me for. Yes. So crossover, what we did is we bring a unique flavor of what we call primary health. It's not just primary care, but it's also mental health, physical therapy, health coaching, and care navigation bundled together. That's our core service. We deliver that service on campus through what we call on-sites. These are centers, health centers that are built on the campus, or we build a, a similar type center, but is a near site, which means it's near multiple right. employers. Mm -hmm. And then of course, we also deliver it virtually. So same care team model, can be delivered through either one of those channels. And in most cases with our employers, they're using at least two or all three channels, on-site, yep. near-site, virtual, in-person, online, anytime. Now, a couple other aspects about the model. So in addition to the care, you know, those teams work together. Our care teams are assigned to a population so that there's accountability. We don't, you don't just get a random crossover doctor every time you need something, you're getting your team. Gotcha. And so the teams consist of, you know, a couple of doctors, a couple of these services, so you can kind of manage a population, but they are account. There's a, there's a designated care team for a defined population, which yeah. creates the accountability. Yep. Payment model is directly from the employer and we, uh, we're value-based because they pay directly for it, but also there's a performance element to this. We need to meet certain performance objectives. Most of those objectives start out at the beginning of the relationship as engagement, utilization, experience. And over time, they begin to move into all the HEDIS measures, prevention, screening, into ultimately managing care, and then ultimately still the total cost of care. Right. Because we right. believe so strongly in primary care that if it's done right and done well, and people um, you know, attribute to our practices, we believe that we can actually deliver downstream savings because the way care works. And it's not just me believing this. You know, there's whole consensus studies. This is one book that I would really recommend every all your readers implementing high quality primary care. 
by the National Academy of Science, but they'll go through, they have just 5,000 references about why primary care is important. Maybe the biggest innovation, Robert, that we've done is to add a business model to the care model. You know, it's interesting to me too that that you chose uh, uh, commercial insurance uh, as your your target because I, you know there are so many companies out there that just do Medicare Advantage because there is so much um, profit. Frankly, to just be clear, in the Medicare Advantage space today, uh, you know how long that lasts is anybody's guess, but. Uh, there certainly has been a heyday for, for Medicare Advantage. And one of the things that I think about addressing the business community is you're also addressing uh, an issue that is on every business owner's mind, which is how am I going to sustain the cost of health care and remain competitive nationally and internationally? So there's, a, there's a, uh, a double benefit. Not only are you providing better care, but you're also alleviating some of that pressure on businesses that uh, you know takes dollars away from core business to pay for health care for employees. If you can bring that cost down and improve the quality, you're actually supporting business as well. You know, it's interesting. Again, as I mentioned, employers are a unique type of payer because everything that they're spending on health care could have been dollars that would have dropped to the bottom line for other aspects of their business. Right. So this is or it's it's existential for them and when you when this this is the only part of their supply chain that is unmanaged it just goes up 10 to 15% a year every single yep. year and it's out of control and they they don't really have any levers like i i can control every other aspect of my supply chain and this one is just like unmanaged yeah and so for the first time ever we're kind of coming in and saying hey you know not only you know cuz for decades people have been trying to you know t throw a little nurse line at it throw this at it throw this at it right digital point solution, throw that. And we're just like, hey, stop the nonsense. What What is first principles? What actually drives down costs? How should you do it? Well, yeah. good primary care, good relationships, good connectivity. Now I steer, guide, and navigate you into the secondary care system. Boom, here comes a mechanism for you to really do that. And so, again, I wish I could say we're bringing all this new innovation and novel things. It's core good basics, but maybe the biggest innovation is tying a care model to a business model that actually can work and be sustainable. You know, I, I don't know how many sports fans are out there, but the way I've always thought about this, I love the point that you're making, by the way, is uh, until you have uh, uh, established blocking and tackling, you can't run a West Coast offense. You know, you can't get fancy until, or you can, but not successfully in the long term, be until you get the basics down. And that's the way I think about it. And, and you know what's interesting it is the current market economy we're in is going to make, you're going to get back to basics. Everything else is going to be boiled off. I mean, you, you can just look at how companies are literally shedding, you know, their employees, services, other things, and they're all looking at these things. So if you're not creating value in this environment, you will not be there. And yeah, so what we're yeah. saying is if you're going back to basics, what is first principles? What is core? What is the very minimum stuff that you should be doing to set the stage to manage everything else? And I do think as you boil that down, what's going to come out in a beautiful, shiny luster is the value of primary health. Yeah. I, you know, I hear you loud and clear. I, and, and the other thing, you know, there have been a couple of notions uh, that, that, uh, have struck me as as 
dead on, you know, really uh, key. And and one of them is uh, actually Verta Health is the one who coined this term, continuous remote care. Yeah. And, you know, the, the meaning of that and, and also hybrid uh, care. In other words, it ain't just, you know, uh, bricks and mortar with some uh, patch uh, telemedicine on the side. And it's not just telemedicine, you know, with without uh, the bricks and mortar to back it up. It's the combination, that hybrid that that actually uh, delivers the best care. I want my doc to be local. I want to be able to see them. But I also want to be able to use telemedicine when it's appropriate uh, because it's so much more convenient. So that combo is really important. And when I say continuous remote care, what I mean by that is there, uh, there is the ability to interface with my healthcare team 365. You know, that I've got the ability to ask a question, uh, silly or not, uh, at any time and and get an answer back in a reasonable amount of time. And, it, you know, patients have ha- always had this notion of, I don't want to bother the doctor with that. I don't want to bother the doctor with that. Well, if you got team-based care, you don't have to because the doc has, you know, a team of people that are there to help them function optimally for uh, their patient population. It, w- w- does that all make sense to you? Is that- I, I, I love it. I mean, what what you're describing is the transition to streaming healthcare, right? Hmm. And people understand this because of streaming videos and movies. You know, right. used to be you have to wait and you get the thing in the mail, or you know, you go pick it up at the store, and then later on it came in the mail, and now you just flick on the TV. And we are 100% believers in this concept: is that you shouldn't have to choose one versus the other, it should really be both. It's not an either or, it's an and question. Your doctor, of course, you want to be able to go meet them at some point and build that relationship because so much of care yes. is in that relationship. But that relationship should be extended through technology and just the common connectivity, email, chat, whatever. Yeah. I also love what you're saying is that what I'm what I'm finding with my own journey on, on, on health is I have a crossover care team as well. You know the person I interact with the most? It's the care navigator. Yes. I'm constantly Uh like, hey, I need this, I need that. And they are like coordinating all these little quick little things. And I never feel like I'm bothering the doctor or the team because that's just built in. It's streaming. Now, in order to manage care, uh, cost of care, you do have to be connected to the members. So this idea of at least giving them a communication channel. Now, in the future, um, Robert, I believe you'll be more instrumented. You know, I'm wearing the the, the, uh, aura ring, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. People wear the watch and right now doctors don't 100 percent know what to do with all this data that's streaming in. But, you know, over time, the patient will be more instrumented. They'll be connected to a practice. There'll be people monitoring them and it, 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 with all their permission. And we're going to get to a great place. And I'm I'm excited about that world if it's done on a permission basis. But right. that is what we're heading into. And I do think the primary care team is best positioned to do that. And I look forward to how this will evolve over time. You know, Scott, I, I love uh, the concepts and embrace all of uh, what you've been saying. I, we're we're going to run short on time. I want to at least spend some time on some key partnerships that yep. Crossover Health has developed. And uh, specifically, uh, you're working with a company that I know a little something about, uh, Aetna. <laughs> so talk to us about the, the Aetna deal and where is that uh, yeah. operating now? And Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, this is, this is a really exciting... Uh, venture for us because, you know, we've exclusively worked with self-insured employers, but, you know, employers 
you know, the payers have a big role with employers as well, and they are active in the commercial segment. And one of the things, um, Robert, that we've thought a lot about is, you know, we, we did talk about com- uh, Medicare Advantage. We do think overall it's a better model. I know there's some challenges with it, and 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 there's also some really, you know, great studies showing that it does have an impact. Yeah. But Medicare Advantage has really taken off. And mm-hmm. what our comment was to the employers is, hey, well, I get that for that subsegment of the population. It's a, it's a new care delivery model. It's a payment model. It's an outcomes model. Why isn't that same concept exist in the commercial space? Where is commercial advantage? And so yeah, we went to yeah. the payers, in this case, Aetna, and said, hey, Aetna, I know you guys understand the value of primary care. I know you have a bunch of different initiatives around that. Why don't we create a commercial advantage plan that employers could join, they get a great care model, it's gonna be tied to the right incentives with the payment model, and then we'll work on the engagement and then we're gonna drive to specific outcomes. And we're already doing it in the Medicare space, why don't we just do it over here? And so Edna was like, yeah, that's a great idea. And they have a lot of leaders on their side, uh, Catherine Gaffigan uh, and others that are really strong believers in primary care. This just seemed like a natural match. So what we're doing is we're partnering in the Seattle area to co-sell this solution to new employers who can now get the advantages of this model. And ultimately we wanna make this a plan design that people opt into and, and to scale it to multiple other markets, which we're really excited about. And so we're just at the very beginnings of that. We just launched in January. We're a couple weeks in. Yeah. Uh, we're looking to forward all the excitement ahead. You know, that's exciting. It really is. I, I, I wonder, uh, as you know, healthcare is incredibly local. Do you see this model scaling differently in different areas and different populations? Uh, it's a great question. We we do notice that we, we get a little bit of that local model with our history has been different employers. And so, you know, an Apple versus a Meta versus a Comcast versus, you know, a manufacturing facility, they're very different. What we find that you might find interesting is it's the same kind of care model construct, but the constituent parts are different. When you're gotcha. working in a manufacturing area, the middle of the country, you might have more physical therapy and a little bit more social work. When you're in a high, you know, tech area, you might have more mental health and then you know other programming. And so, but it's the same care model. So I do think that it flexes. And to your point, healthcare is very local. One of the challenges with national providers like ourselves is you got to be in all 50 states, but you can't boil the ocean. What we end up doing is kind of concentrating in specific medical service areas, MSAs. And that's really just to get to some scale and some operational efficiency. And this is why, you know, we're not going to be the solution for every single person in America, but, you know, we want to be a catalyst to show that this can be done at scale. And so Mm -hmm. to get to those few pockets is, is where we're going to, we're going to play. So. Uh, you know, Scott, I wish it weren't so, but we are almost out of time. I want to respect your time. I think uh, this uh, likely deserves a follow-up, maybe six months a year to see how sure. that's going up in Seattle. Uh, any other markets that uh, you're looking at right now? or You know, we're we're not prepared to announce this publicly, but we are looking actively at uh, dozens of these markets and seeing where we can go have the biggest impact and close partnership with Aetna. So we look forward to expanding there. So that should be exciting. Well, that's fantastic. It has been a great pleasure meeting you. I, I have one last question and uh, then we'll wrap it up. And the question is this. What is your number one tip for folks who aspire to do something similar to what you're doing, leadership? What's your number one tip? You know, I get a lot of inbound, a lot of college students. I do talk at different, um, you know, pre-med groups or, you know, even residency programs. And 
what I always tell everyone is the biggest thing is you got to find something that you're passionate about that creates value, real value. And then you've got to be willing to totally go for it because you will be told no a thousand times before 9 a.m. (laughs) <laughs> and you got to be willing to walk through doors. And I do, I'll go back to that little comment about inevitable. It's it's a little funny phrase within crossover, but it's kind of become a watchword for us that there are times when you just have to press forward. You have to believe it. You have to believe it until others can see it. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, well, I, Scott, your energy, your passion are evident. And uh, I love the path that you're on. And uh, we're going to, if you'll agree to it, you don't have to tell me now, but I, we'd love to have you come back at some point and update us on, on your progress. All right. Well, thank you, Robert, for all your time and interest. And we look forward to uh, hopefully being able to talk again. Thank you, Scott, so much. And uh, Scott Shreve, MD of Crossover Health. And with that, we're going to say so long for now. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Groves Connection, your connection to the inside story on healthcare, featuring in-depth interviews with those who know. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, give us a five-star review to keep the connection going and hit the subscribe button to be sure you never miss a beat. The Groves Connection is produced by Dr. Robert Groves. Original music, editing, and creative direction provided by Alden Groves. Production support, content guidance, courtesy of Janae Sharp and Elizabeth Barrett. Thank you for listening. The professional ideas and opinions expressed in this podcast are mine and do not reflect those of any current or past employers. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time on the Groves Connection.